Good morning, and welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz. Coming to you on Monday this week, our long national nightmare is over. It is I, Jackson Roberts. It is he, Kale Clinton, talking about NFL Week 7. A week of pretty subpar football matchups, but some good football happened, right, Kale? It had its moments. You know, I we lost a lot of good players this week potentially <laughs> too many uh uh which we'll probably get into but i mean like i don't know there's always one or two of these weeks in a season and i'd say given the matchups going in i i'd i'd arguably call it net positive result i think we were i think it was fun if we could have saved Brees hall's acl this week the world would have been a much better place. A utopia, some say. But we move on. It sucks to lose him. It sucks to lose J.C. Jackson. It sucks to maybe lose Amon Ross St. Brown if he's concussed. About half a dozen other guys. D.K. Metcalf. Yeah, why not? Just keep piling them on. It was just everybody. Mm -hmm. Just a sad, sad day. But that's kind of what they've all devolved into at this point. Some guys played really well. Some guys didn't get hurt, but played very poorly. And that's where we're going to start this week because there are two quarterbacks who are sort of the wise old Sheridans of this league, the veterans who have won every award, ageless wonders, some say. They both kind of stink right now, Kale. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers have lost three in a row. Not like Rodgers is having a terrible statistical season, but certainly not up to his usual standard. He can't get on board with any of his receivers. His passer rating or his QBR would be a career low. But on the other hand, you have Tom Brady lost three out of four, a 21-3 drubbing at the hands of a Carolina Panthers team that just traded away all its players. Things are not good there. He's just mad all the time or sad or both. But I guess I just want to ask, like, who is more cooked out of the two? Who are you? Not just that we're worried about, but for whom is it more over? It's that's such a tough question, Jackson. I want I want to share with you something. It, I don't to. know. If, I, I don't know if it would surprise you or not. Neither Tom Brady nor Aaron Rodgers actually had like statistically that awful a game Aaron Rodgers finished with a zero EPA per play uh Tom Brady finished a little bit worse at minus 0.07 per RBSDM he just looked like Brady just looked off at points but then there's things where it's like oh uh, Mike Evans just dropped that touchdown and absolutely barreled through a guy and had 11 yards of separation before he kneed the ball to himself and let and let it go. It's the most wide up. I have it literally on the TV right now. It's the most wide open pa- uh, drop of a pass 30 plus yards. I think it's in NFL history. I'm not sure there. Uh, I just have NFL Network on in the background. It literally one, just one good, good, good. 
serendipitous timing. Uh, here's the thing. We knew Rodgers had no receivers. That was the whole thing coming into this year. That, But we also thought it was a tenable situation that he could work with. Uh, that clearly hasn't been the case. There's some questionable decision on decision making on the floor part in the sense where it's like, oh, you've got an elite pass catching back in AJ Dillon who just has barely been a factor in the last three weeks. Uh, you got guys like Christian Watson banged up, but like you've really done nothing to kind of get other players going. Uh, the same could be said in Tampa Bay, just certain situations where. Uh, they're punting where they shouldn't, or, you know, Leonard Fournette's just a shell of himself. I don't think, like, on face, either quarterback is that good. Rodgers right now, I'm interested to see where tomorrow's numbers come in. Uh, Rodgers is playing, coming into this game, about at the – 20 the 20 like 17 to 2019 levels he was playing out before his back-to-back mvp seasons which was like a league average quarterback slightly above league average but not up to aaron Rodgers' standards brady's still playing like a top 10 quarterback outside of today uh today was more egregious than this game against the steelers but even then two of those three <laughs> carolina touchdowns were just tackling like, we're just a defense that didn't know how to tackle. I'm firmly in the camp that neither of these guys are washed and earnestly. Tom Brady especially. There's some – okay. Hop in whenever because I'm also just like – a lot of this is open spitballing because that's what happens when you do this. Uh, I'm, I'm almost ready to hop in. I'm going to let you – I'm going to let you go a little longer here. There's absolutely certain elements where Tom Brady looks older than he is. Uh, it – especially comes on like zipping in certain balls over the middle in short and intermediate range on quick throws. Uh, He lost a lot there. And there were some today where he was just missing open guys. And those were on more downfield looks. Uh, Hone some of those more in. Numbers-wise, he's still playing like a top 10, borderline top five quarterback. And he's good enough where he can just do the football mercenary thing if he wanted to for like the next – two years, three years, where he could, like, be a one-year guy on a team that really needs someone. And I think if he divorces Giselle and just doesn't have kids to worry about on the day-to-day and doesn't have a family to go home to, I think he might do that, and I think he might play till he's 50. He announced three days ago her uh, retirement is not on the horizon, and I think that might be his plan. And I'm already theorizing teams that he can go to. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I I believe him. Um, I don't really know if the situations get that much better than the Bucks. I I understand that they lost Gronk in the offseason and that they've been banged up at receiver, but there's not many better defenses that you're going to go out and get and get the ball back from. You still have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Those are still two very, very good receivers. Brady and Rodgers, Kale, have career lows in QBR. So I know we like the DVOA numbers don't look that bad. For Rodgers, they do compared to what Rodgers usually is. And like maybe Rodgers isn't a bad quarterback. Maybe it's just a case of this Packers team is so bad around him that he can't elevate them and he's not playing well enough to elevate them like he may have been able to do earlier in his career. 
But they're two different cases in a sense that like Rogers doesn't look like he wants to be out there half the time to me right now. It's really weird. Like I don't, I, I hate to be like that, you know, assume what's going on in a locker room or assume that you can tell something just by watching someone's body language, but it's, it's off putting. Like, I know he gave that answer this week that was like, you know, I'm still so happy to be coming to this job and far be it for me to like question that. But I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on with the Packers and why he doesn't seem to be interested in fixing it when he's actually on the field. Yeah. Attitude is different than performance. He doesn't look like he wants to be there at all. Uh, and, and he did say, I think he's like getting pissed in some like, uh, this is syncing up very well with what's going on on my TV, which is nothing <laughs> to a podcast. But uh, he went up to the podium and basically said, like, yeah, maybe this was good for us. Like, maybe we just need this, like, kicking the balls. Why did I say it like that? Uh, kicking the ass just to, uh, like, really wake us up and, like, really, you know, get us motivated for the back half of the schedule. Uh Listen, they still have a lot of game, like they still have another game against the Bears. They still have like this is a winnable division. They're on the other side of five hundred, but like it's not that bad for them. Dropping ga- dropping games you should absolutely win is a problem, and they've got a tough schedule like in the future. But like they, they play in an easy conference, and nothing about the Minnesota Vikings right now is telling me that they're about to run away with the NFC North. Yeah, I I understand that these are better teams in some cases than just this anecdote will show. But I can't imagine any other time in history where Aaron Rodgers would have lost three weeks in a row to Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson, Taylor Heineke. That just doesn't feel real to me. And Rodgers, especially in the, in the regular season historically has been so dominant so able to overcome any obstacles in front of him and now it's like this this team is led in all of their games uh, not the jets game i suppose uh but that giants game and this washington game followed very similar scripts where it was second half all of a sudden the offense just completely shuts down the defense even scored today and tried to uh, they almost scored again kind of nullified by a penalty that i didn't think should have been a penalty but, I mean, they didn't score again until the, what, the final drive or the second to final drive with, like, three minutes left. So you're going to talk about going 27 minutes against the Washington Commanders and not being able to put a single point on the board? And that's cause for a lot of alarm. That's cause for all the alarms. I'll, I'll leave it at this, but I, I, like, you can point a lot of different fingers at a lot of different things. Bucks, bad O-line, bad run game questionable decision-making by Todd Bowles. And this defense is playing like a top-five defense in the league and cannot tackle. They they let Carolina run through them like a sieve. Rodgers, somehow with like Romeo Dubs, Bob Tunyon, uh, no Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins now in the fold, like he's, he's making something – Maury Rogers has as many catches as he has fumbles in his career. I like, saw that stat. It's pretty funny. Like, there's a, yeah. There's a lot going on. Like, he, he's working with nothing, and he's somehow kept up a top 10 offensive DVOA. This defense is real bad on Green Bay. Like, there's a lot of different fingers you can point. 
but because and even he's got offensive line problems. Bakhtiari hasn't played, and he when he does, he's on a rotation. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's close to retirement just because of like the mental gymnastics he's kind of been going through. Quarterbacks is, quarterbacks are the faces of the franchise. And when teams are going bad, the finger will always get pointed at them, deservedly or not. I don't think either of that these guys, despite their age, is at the end of their rope. And I think both of these guys are going to need to be leaned on if things are like the ship's going to get right, if things are going to get turned around. Yeah, I think it, it depends how you define the rope. Because I think in any other year of the past, really 15 you could point to both of these guys and say, these are top five quarterbacks. And right now, even if some of the peripheral numbers are close, they aren't, they're not bottom of the barrel, but they're, I mean, Brady's 15th coming into the week, Brady's 15th in QBR Rogers is 23rd. So I know there are other stats. I know QBR is far from the end all be all, but those are like clear top five QBR guys for the last 15 years. Like I said, so it's not that like, Maybe we shouldn't be saying, like, the quarterback in and of itself, he is cooked. But the fact is, both of these teams need their quarterbacks to elevate them big time. And right now, they're just not quite getting it done. And there are other compounding errors. And that's why they both sit at three and four. Um, Just to quickly wrap this segment up, because I know we've gone in a lot of different directions with it. Which team do you believe in more to fix it? Yeah, Uh, better division. Uh, They've somehow... In one of the worst losses of their of of Brady's tenure in Tampa Bay, he's managed to avoid bleeding out too much in the division. Like outside of losing to Carolina, Carolina is not going to win any more games again. Funny uh, you bring that up, Kale, because if Carolina wins next week and the Bucks lose to the Ravens, who they very well might lose to. Carolina will have sole possession of first place in the NFC South. Do they go into this game one and five or two and four? They came into this game one Carolina and five. Three and five leads the NFC South with sole possession. If the Bucks, the Bucks lose, and if wins? the Bucks lose and the Panthers win, three and five. Yeah, if the Panthers aren't going, uh, but. <laughs> Between what happened on Thursday night with no real blood lost and Carolina just being a complete non-threat, I think uh, Tampa Bay has the best at least chance to make the playoffs and like win a division this year. Yeah, I agree. Also, I mean, it's an uh, easier division. One... They can probably go nine and eight and win it. So in that sense, I agree. Do I think they're going deep in the playoffs this year? I don't. One more stat nugget I want to throw at you. Uh, one of the factors of QBR's EPA per play, and by Ben Baldwin's numbers, uh, Tom Brady ha- uh, Tom Brady's 13th in EPA per play, which is sitting uh, behind Daniel Jones and Marcus Mariota and just ahead of Jacoby Brissett and Andy Dalton. So a very of, weird year. But also ahead of Cousins, Tannehill, Herbert, Mac Jones, Kyler Murray, Cooper Rush, Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers in that order, uh, who, again, all of those guys sit behind Jacoby Brissett and Andy Dalton. Uh, you know, say what you will about this year. It's bizarre. Pretty weird. Again, 
One uh, thing did feel right today, and it was that the Bengals looked like a really good football team again. I don't know if we were expecting it, but it happened. It felt right. It, it harkened back to a time when we would sit in the new house studio and talk about how much we were enjoying the Bengals break out and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. What'd you see from them? Uh, my, I mean, they look great. Like, I, I only watched the first half of this game because at some point I just, even when the Falcons were keeping it interesting and I'm tweeting, you know, pictures from Jurassic Park, uh, the rear view picture talking about Norm Van Brocklin looking at Joe Burrow in his rear view mirror in heaven. Uh, <laughs> uh, the overall like game itself, I mean, the Falcons just like outside of a, a couple signs of life in the second half, just refused to play pass defense. Uh, Burrow was dicing these guys up. Uh, it, coming out of the gate, scoring like – Scoring four touchdowns on your first four drives. Chef's kiss, beautiful. Uh, larger takeaway on the whole, AFC just gauntlet. Uh, I, I think the two games that really encapsulate that are the fact that the Bengals are back. Not, you know, not fully back, uh, but in the conversation of being back. And the Chiefs are just a buzzsaw. The, the Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback I've ever seen play the game of football. Just and just a savant. Uh, the pairing of Mahomes with Andy Reid is if the Patriots beat the Chicago Bears uh, tomorrow night, there will be one, two, three, four, five, six. Nine teams above 500 in the AFC, uh, which is just insane. And this doesn't include, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers, who at least kind of gave the Dolphins for their money late. Uh, it doesn't include the Indianapolis Colts, again, arbiter between good and bad, sitting at 3 3 and 1. Uh, it doesn't include either. Of the AFC West teams that added the best wide receiver in football and the best subway advertiser uh, since uh, that child predator. Uh, <laughs> and it also does include the Browns, who at some point will get Sean Watson back. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's, the better, it's the better Russell conference. To Jared from subway. Hey. Um, uh, he he might have been, you know what? He just might have and, been an okay, he might have been okay at selling sandwiches, Kale. That is that is an okay take to have. Just a terrible human being. Listen, he'd come in with the pants, and they were huge. And you'd say, "How did he lose all that weight?" And it was from Subway. And it just it was wasn't also too. I mean, Subway's. <laughs> yeah, it was walking three miles each way to the subway yeah. in ordering and probably in probably in those jeans which get. probably were like mm-hmm. made of kevlar and made him sweat it all out dude but there were big pants he, he had the pants and he'd go really around big. with the pants uh but yeah this also doesn't include like the browns who are going to get to sean watson back and if i'm missing like Den- denzel warren jadevion Clowney, and miles carrot it's not the best defense but like a lot of players. It doesn't include Jacksonville, who's been really scrappy and competitive with a lot of teams. Like there were, 
I, you, dude, you've named every you've named every gonna, team in the AFC not named Houston, Kale. <laughs> yeah, because the NFC, the AFC is full of parity. Like this, this is a sick, sick division where there are fourteen to fifteen legitimately viable teams that can win on a given Sunday. Hey, we've seen we've seen every team win on a given Sunday at some point this year. It's it's a fun point. I, it might the Broncos might be the worst team in the AFC at this point. Maybe, maybe get Russell Wilson back, and we'll see if that's not true. But another hideous performance from they them beat, today. They beat Houston, so they you can't really say that. But barely, and it was in Denver. <laughs> they've only that's they've cool. only each won one game since, and yeah, I don't know. Bad, really bad. Uh, just wanted to say for for those that are following. Uh, our football outsiders content. I did say that the Las Vegas Raiders had the best chance of any sub 500 team to make the playoffs. And of all the sub 500 teams today, guess who won Las Vegas Raiders. I said the Detroit Lions. <laughs> he did say that and he got properly roasted for it in the comments section. <laughs> but I did pick Washington to win this week. Good so. job. Kale. I picked Michael Gallup to have a good fantasy week, and then he just didn't play. Yes, I noticed that too. Oops. On my fantasy team. (laughs) All right, moving right along. We have got a real story. It's been a story we've talked about. Now it's a story that everyone needs to start talking about. Because if winning a division is all about vibes, then I think we know who to award the NFC West division title to. It's not Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not Matthew Stafford. Certainly not Kyler Murray. It wasn't even really Geno Smith today, Kel. It's the rest of the Seattle Seahawks. Just a great all-around team. They nailed the draft. They smoked the Chargers in LA. Kenneth Walker III. We'll talk more about him later in the show. But... Oh man, if you're sitting on a a 30 to 1 Seahawks to win the NFC West ticket from a few weeks ago right now, kind of feeling pretty darn good. Yeah, the regression's just not hitting for Gina. Gina is still very much a top five quarterback in football right now. Uh I think he I I wish I had the uh I think it was EPA alongside CPOE. Uh, there's no one even touching uh, Gina Smith in the CPOE conversation. Uh, second place, uh, let me go five to one. Uh, Josh Allen, 3.1. Joe Burrow, 3.2. Tua Tungvaloa, 3.8. Pat Mahomes, 4.1. Gina Smith, 8.6. With a completion percentage of 75.6. With an expected completion it's percentage wacky. of 67. It's it's this is coming from RBSDM. It's he's playing awesome football right now. Losing DK is going to hurt him, which is why I think your actual framework of you know, is Seattle going to win this division? I don't know. Uh, you know, if if Taloa Hufanga can stay healthy for San Francisco and they can just if their whole team wasn't made out of people with glass bones and paper skin and jello brains and uh, bad ligaments, uh, I'd have a lot more faith 
from this team actually winning the division. Uh, and, you know, getting Christian McCaffrey, the picture of longevity, uh, really helped that cause. <laughs> but uh, wanted to bring in someone who fit their team culture, Kale. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Uh, be a good, uh, be, be just a good morale booster in the training room when everyone's getting their ankles taped. Yeah, just another buddy to have around. Uh, <laughs> Seattle can absolutely win this division, which is is a surprise to really everyone. Uh, I, you know, in writing over unders this year, I don't think I took Seattle over, but I think we talked about how Seattle was too good to just bottom out. Uh, especially this was when you know they had Jamal Adams not lost for the year and. We're a little bit more full on the defensive end, but I mean, Tariq Woolen's been transcendent as a cornerback this year. Wild. Uh, fantastic. They've done a good job getting pressure. Like, it's been a really solid group. I've been, I've been thoroughly impressed. And, and offensively, especially, even if their defense is playing, you know, pretty well below average, but they can just compete because they've got Gina Smith willing to make really aggressive throws that not a lot of guys have just the balls to throw, like have the confidence to throw. I don't know if it's just, you know, ignorance is bliss and sitting on the bench for eight years kind of lobotomize the fear gene out of Gina Smith, but like he's making some risky throws like these, center field shots on cover two or, you know, really tight window stuff. It's why CPOE is so high because most of the time you're not expecting to make these throws, and he is. He's played really impressive quarterback. Honestly, like, if they win the division, dark horse MVP, in the sense that, like, yeah, like, if MVP is going to go to the best player of the year with the best storyline, yeah, it's a challenge. Probably should be Patrick Mahomes. It probably also should be Lamar Jackson for just being a one-man offense for the Baltimore Ravens, who's had like two passing targets to throw to consistently all year. But if you're talking about like most valuable player for a given roster, it should be Geno Smith for what he's done to keep the Seattle Seahawks competitive. Yeah. Like, can you win MVP if you're 10th in passing yards and 8th in passing touchdowns? I don't know. Maybe maybe if the voters have fully gotten on board with the CPOE EPA per play train, but I don't think so. It's a nice it's a nice story though. I mean, it's it's the nicest story we have going right now. Um Geno Smith, he, he kind of does it again he today. Sit on, like, touchdowns? Where does he what? sit on like passing touchdowns? I said eighth. He's eighth in passing touchdowns. Oh, he's eighth in touchdowns? Oh. Yeah, he's only got nine of them. This is a whack year. For passing touchdowns, Kale. Mahomes and Allen knew, tied for first. Uh, well, excuse me. This was this was coming into today. I guess it hasn't updated yet, but I doubt he raised on the list because what he had two today, so that brings him to eleven through seven games. I mean, that is not that is not a good pace. But nobody's on a good pace. It's actually insane. Listen, it's bad quarterback play from the old guys. It's really good defensive performances. It's Young guys underperforming. It's about as many injuries as you can count. <laughs> like it's it's a perfect storm of just bad football. Yeah, weird weird year to try and, and make calling, sense of any of this. Also, let me rephrase: calling good defense bad football is bad. 
and reductive to good defensive play. Uh, having a lot of guys injured in bad quarterback play is bad football. Uh, but good defense is fun. It's just low scoring. Low scoring doesn't draw ratings. True. I think it's fair to say there's been a downtick in QB play this year. Not to say, yeah, Yeah. not to say that like it can't ever get fixed or that we can't watch this product anymore or that, you know, we're going to go and watch Formula One. But it's, you know, it's definitely something to note. The QB play has notably taken a downturn with that. I don't know how to introduce what we're going to talk about next. Listeners, we keep a Google Doc of what we're going to be talking about on this podcast each and every week. And usually I know exactly how to toss it to Kale when it's his turn to kind of do one of these takeaways. Uh, This last one tonight, I have absolutely no idea how Kale wants to broach this topic. So I'm just going to give you the floor to introduce it yourself. Take it away. I mean, we've... Jackson, don't... You know, don't beat yourself up too much, but we basically already started talking about it. Uh, <laughs> Parody's bad, guys. Within the con- within the context of a single season, uh, true league parody is bad. Uh, you know, we've we've already touched on the scoring drought. Uh, we're down to twenty one point six points per game, which is the lowest since two thousand nine. Like we said, it's injuries. It's the changing of guard at quarterback. It's the newest era of quarterback not really holding up there under the bargain and being as good as we all predicted. It's supplementing a bunch of transition quarterbacks in the mix. Uh, we're coming off just two years ago where it looked like almost everyone had a quarterback option uh, that they were happy with, at least in some capacity. Uh, we're getting into a lot of these different things. Uh, on the whole, Jackson, I think I can name at least three players. I'm not going to do it. I think I can name at least three players on every single team. And in most cases, not quarterbacks, three individual players on every single team that I really like as a genuine prospect. I'm not saying that's a bad thing for the league. What I'm saying is a bad thing for the league is that it's it's the column rewrite for FO. It's the, you know, Classic catchphrase you'll hear. Any given Sunday, a team can go out there and win. P.J. Walker beat Tom Brady this week. Uh, The Green Bay Packers lost to the hapless Washington Commanders. Uh, Kenny Pickett and the Steelers that have really, like, you know, a very poorly run offense and a banged-up defense – uh, took the Miami Dolphins, who were all expected to be a dark horse AFC contender, down to the last play of their Sunday night football game. Uh, so many, so many one score games. Uh, and there's different elements that it comes down to. Like, even look at the New York Giants. Like, what, what's weird about parity is that even at the top end, a team like the New York Giants is six and one. And every one of their wins is a one-score game. That could have gone either way. Jackson and I have a new show called The Takeaway with FO, where we break down takes. And one of the ones we broke down was that, you know, one of the sections is dedicated to picks. And we broke down 
Uh, this one guy at the Action Network talked about, you know, the luckiest team in football is going to have their luck run out against the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's not luck when it's, you know, good coaching, hard-nosed football, like a solid defensive effort, but also like a young quarterback that's genuinely making mistakes on the other end and, and Jacksonville constantly getting penalties to help the Giants out. Some of that's luck. But the other stuff is like just really sound decision making, and really good coaching, really good process and development. Yeah, let's let's stay on Having that game. All of that it won't. Yeah, let's stay on that game for just a sec because the Giants were three point underdogs in this game at five and one, with the Jags sitting at two and four. I picked the Giants in the staff picks article this week, and in it I said this feels like the ultimate trap. And I felt like I was just diving right in. But the reason I stuck by it was because I think we've reached the point in the season where good teams find ways to win and bad teams or teams that are still figuring it out and are a year away are just going to find ways to lose. This game was the ultimate example of all those things. Couldn't have felt like it was more to a T the script that I had envisioned in my mind when I picked the Giants to win. Now they're sitting at six and one. I still don't know what to make of them, but I think like all these games that they still have, you know, Seahawks next week, surprisingly somehow like the game of the week, uh, they still play the lions. They still play the commanders twice. They're going to find ways to win these games. It is just about like the culture shift and good head coaching defense. That's like, Really competent and getting better week in, week out. Young guys, fast guys, Kayvon Thibodeau running. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, I think it was ETN just running down ETN from like 40 yards behind him to prevent a touchdown earlier today. And they're hungry. It's a, it's a lot of fun to watch. And we've all, we've kind of talked about collectively in football media how this is Trevor Lawrence's real rookie year, right? Because last year with Urban Meyer was just such a fiasco. Is is it crazy to say that year four for Daniel Jones is kind of his rookie year too? Because he spent the first three just getting absolutely ruined by Ben McAdoo and Joe Judge, and now he's finally got a coach that can make use of him? I mean, this is – yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to be on a one-year rookie contract, I guess, if that's your implication. But you're not totally wrong. I don't. I still don't know what the Giants do next year with regards to either Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley. But it's, it's a larger conversation we got to have about you know the Giants. If we want to make this a Giants thing, I'm happy to make it a Giants thing. But Jackson, six and one teams uh, make the playoffs almost ninety percent of the time. That's the, it. The New York Giants. It's. I. I think they miss like 12.2% of the time. I could go back and look it up. Uh, Brian uh, Noel sent it to me earlier. Uh, I could look it up, but they make it 90% of the time. The most recent team to lose was the 2015 Falcons, uh, which classic Falcons. But <laughs> Oops. Whether it's these former reigning empires starting to – crumble or new burgeoning teams starting to get their legs under them in their rebuilding process. The spectrum of outcomes for all 32 NFL teams is 
shrinking, it's truncating. In the long run, it means it's good. It means we have a healthy ecosystem of, you know, dynasties coming in and out, uh, new teams getting opportunities to sit on top. Uh, there's healthy competition. This is what we want in an ecosystem. This is what we want in a, in a free market of teams. In the short term, what it means is uh, we get Washington beating Green Bay. We get P.J. Walker beating Tom Brady. Like, we get matchups we don't really want to see not work out in our favor. It's bad for gambling. It's bad for fan viewership. It's bad for, you know, it makes our jobs harder as prognosticators, as people who try and have opinions and takes on the league when, Everything feels so flimsy at all times that it's tough to have confidence in what you're saying. I like it long-term, and I like the fact that I can say, like, oh, I like this guy. Oh, I like this guy. And I can I can genuinely point to, like, give me a team, and I'll name you three players that I like that aren't the quarterback. I'm, I like that I can do that. I just don't like that it's going to interfere with my Sundays. <laughs> it's going to make my next 11 weeks harder. It's a confusing time. I think that is uh, more than appropriate to say. But uh, we're, we're figuring it out. We're, we're, we're on this journey together. It's, it's a weird season. That's, that's all there is to say. And I, what's weird is I also feel like we say that every year at this point. Like parody is at an extreme level. But it just keeps getting worse year in and year out. Like last year, we were sort of at this point too, where the Bills and Chiefs were both a little bit over 500 and there was no clear number one in the NFC. And things kind of straightened themselves out by the end of the season. We did still end up with the one-seeded Tennessee Titans, which was extremely off-putting. But in the end, eh, and maybe it even continued through the playoffs because I feel like the Bengals and Rams, if anyone were to be objective, were not the best teams in their conferences for the vast majority of last season. But that can be a good thing sometimes in the postseason when you know either upstart teams or hot teams just kind of work their way through it. I don't I it feels like a conversation we have every year, and I'm not sure if that means this season is gonna work out and we're gonna be happy. Or if every team's going to hover around 500 by the end of it and we're just going to be left really confused. Stay tuned, I guess. I mean, it leads to dramatic product. It, you know, it's like in the NBA Western Conference last year where like, what was it, like six teams were competing for the last two spots in the uh, like play-in tournament thing that they now do because no one can – settle on a normal freaking playoff system and everything's got to have two thirds of our leagues. The uh, NBA the is playoffs. bad. <laughs> the NBA is bad. They're, they're going to expand March Madness, Jackson. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> um, uh, but you want to talk it, about golf while we're at it? Let's talk about the live tour real quick. That's all right, let's. You want to open the can of worms at one fifteen, Jackson? <laughs> no, I don't, because I feel like if we do, it'll never stop. So, Anti live tour guys, the both of us. All right, continue. What I want to say about the, uh, what I want, what I wanted to say about that is like, no team's dominant, but it creates, it creates good drama, it creates good entertainment, and that's what sports ultimately are. You know, 
they're a great storytelling mechanism. They're, you know, a great showcase of like, you know, gladiatorial athleticism, but and strategy, but at the end of the day, they're entertainment. It's they're reasonably filled stadiums with hundreds of thousands of people. And the game gets broadcast to millions. The like it'll create good entertainment, but I think the difference between last year and this year is last year we weren't sure about ten- like we knew Tennessee wasn't as good as Buffalo or Kansas City or even uh, I was going to say Cleveland, Cincinnati, the other C Ohio City. Uh, we we knew they were competent, but we didn't like we knew they weren't that good. But they were like, oh, maybe like they're good at other things. Like maybe they could at least hold their own, and they couldn't. Like, but we know the Giants aren't good. Like, we know they aren't this good. We know the Vikings aren't as good as their five-on-one record. And I think it's also just way tougher to see, like, in some capacity, Jackson, you and I both know that there are pieces of the Buccaneers that are good. There are pieces of the Packers that are good. Even the Chargers, who, like, uh, everyone keeps talking about this play, Hank, that the Chargers keep running. Ruiz keeps pointing it up, and Solak keeps pointing it up. Uh, it's it's a modified version of, of spacing. Uh, it is two comeback routes and a Texas from the running back or from the inside tight end, I forget, uh, or the inline tight end. But it's like putting handcuffs on your best guy. So they're running this awful play and, and using it as the crux of their offense. But, like, you know the pieces that they have, the Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Josh Palmers, uh, Austin Eckler, Donald Parham. You know all these guys are good. You, you, you know Justin Herbert's good. You just, like, for whatever reason, they're not functioning at the right rate. So, like, that's For whatever problem. reason. Is it, is it – I mean, can we say the reason is Brandon Staley? Is it it's, is it's I mean, early it's just, to start banging that drum? Because Staley's been awful this year, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. It's Joe Lombardi more than Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley's bad at decision-making. Uh, Brandon Staley's defense has not lived up to uh, the hype. Well, the pass rush is good. The secondary has been a problem, especially J.C. Jackson. That's another barrel we can dive down. <laughs> but when good teams are performing bad, but you know that they're good in some capacity, you have good parts to it, it gets really frustrating to try and justify. Like, it's it's the opposite of the Tennessee thing where it's like there's questions – like, there's questions in there. Like, there's not a ton of questions. You know what's bad about Green Bay. You know what's good about Green Bay. You know what's bad about Tampa Bay. You know what's wrong with Tampa Bay. But you know what's good, and you know what their full ceiling is. You're, it's it's like watching a scary movie that you've seen a hundred times that still kind of grips you. Like, you know exactly what's going to happen. You know, like, without using movie logic, like, oh, you shouldn't walk down into the basement where you hear the scream. Like, go get help. But, like, you know your decision in the mind when you're watching the movie. But you go down the path anyway, and it's always pro- – I don't know. Now I'm going off the rails because this whole thing's <laughs> driving me mad. Let's go to game balls. Let's do it, yeah. Um, last thing I, – I know that you do want to go to game balls. Uh, no, we can still talk last, about last thing, the Chargers, about last thing on the Chargers. Uh, Austin Eckler, kind of the ultimate, like, get you 35 points in fantasy, all garbage time. This year, like you look at Austin Eckler in fantasy and you think, wow, he's amazing. But you actually watch the Chargers play and you're like, so they have this running back who doesn't run the ball. Like he's basically just out there as like a slot receiver who runs out of the backfield instead of the slot. 
And like, that's a nice weapon to have, but is it crazy to say like, I wish the chargers had a little bit of a run game. Cause they kind of don't. I mean, Jack, who do you want to want? Who do you want to run? Larry Roundtree, Isaiah Stiller. <laughs> like, right? I mean, like this Sony Michelle worked when they had Melvin Gordon. Cause he was that guy. And then Austin Eckler was the guy that would come in when they were losing and just catch balls out of the backfield all day. And he was the best right. at it. But now they don't have a running back. I forgot Melvin Gordon was a charter. <laughs> oh, damn. That blew my mind in ways it shouldn't have. Yeah, they needed a good running back. And they they haven't contributed anything to it. I used to think it wasn't last year's Chargers running back room. There was one guy I absolutely loved and was convinced that he was like – oh, he should be RB2, he should, like, you know, it should be a lightning-thunder thing where, they, you know, one, like, Eckler's ripping the pass offense and the other guys, you know, doing whatever. Oh, no, it's, uh, I have, yeah, Joshua Kelly was, so it was one guy I really liked and one guy I couldn't stand. Even me looking at now, I can't tell. It's Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson. I don't know which one I liked and which one I hate. <laughs> Uh, and that's fitting because they're both I like think, the other Chargers running back. Well, I think I don't know where Jackson is now. He's not on the Chargers anymore. I, they kept Kelly, and I think Kelly's the one I don't like. Oh no, I, I liked Kelly. That was it, and they just never ran Lovely. it. And now he's not good. Uh, but this is what I'm saying. It doesn't really matter because they've never given anyone outside of Ackler a real chance to shine. I don't get a ton right outside of. I like to hang my hat when I get it right. Uh, me making an early call saying Austin Eckler was going to be better than Alva Kamara in 2021, I'll hang my hat on, and it's continued this year. So, X my guy. Hang that hat, bud. Austin Eckler, keep taking your nine second-half receptions priced at a half point each plus all those yards that mean absolutely nothing because you're losing at home to the Seattle Seahawks. Enjoy. I am so down on the Chargers. It hurts my soul. They are the worst four and three team out of all the four and three teams. I digress. Let's do game balls. Go ahead, Cal. Free Justin Herbert. Free Justin Herbert. Well, I go first. You're up. You're up, man. Oh, I'm up. Yeah, it's Burrow. Uh, Like, whenever you threaten the single game passing yards record, it's pretty damn easy to pick a game ball. Uh, he threw for 350-plus yards in the first half. And if I think they were playing a competent team that wasn't the Falcons, they'd probably push that further. I think – excuse me. I think the only reason he even hit 350 in the first half was because the Falcons just inexplicably scored 17 points in the last five minutes of the, of the game. Yeah, it was – oh, no, sorry, not even five minutes. Last minute. Uh, 75-yard touchdown, Demir Bird. Shout-out to Demir Bird. Uh, punt and then field goal. Uh, yeah, that was the only reason they kept throwing for as long as they did. Or finish the day, 34 for 42, 481, three touchdowns. Had to sneak three snack, three snacks, three sacks in there. Joe Burrow came out looking like a snack. Let's tie that one Oh, back God. <laughs> uh, and, and 
you know, had an absolute day. Put the Bengis back on the map. Shout oh, no. out Joe Burrow. First game ball. Let's bring the Bengis back. Oh, no. <laughs> the Bengis fueled the Super Bowl run. So I guess it maybe did. should bring that nickname back. Whether whether or not it's something that we want to have happen again, I guess it's happening. So, uh, yeah, congratulations to Cincinnati yeah. for having the 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 ultimate kale nickname and obviously a back to back Super Bowl run in the tank somehow. Yeah, just because we could bring the nickname back, we never asked if we should bring the nickname back. <laughs> But you just brought the nickname back. You just like you opened the can of worms and you were like, I don't know, it's open now. What do you want to yeah. do about it? Yeah. I put the can opener there. I twisted the crank. <laughs> I I can't be responsible for what happens afterwards. Oh I didn't like wrench it open. Yeah, okay. So we're sitting there, we're sitting there, and the lid of the can is fully undone, but it's sitting on top of Bengis inside of it. We haven't taken it off yet, but the factory seal is ruined. So thanks, Kill. I just wanted to look. I just wanted to open the can and look at it. It doesn't mean I'm going to eat it. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> All right. 1:25 a.m. and I am giving my offensive game ball to Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker had more than a hundred yards more from scrimmage than every other Seahawk today. 168 rushing yards, did not record a catch, doesn't matter. Had two touchdowns, including a 74-yard rip that enabled some great stadium shots of sad Chargers fans and Seahawks fans, of which there were many, dancing on those Chargers fans' graves. He's great. Brees Hall being hurt stinks, but at least there are other really, really good rookie running backs, and he's obviously one of them. What a shot, Kale. The guy that wins the Doak Walker Award is just really good the first year that he's in the league. Listen, who to thunk it? Uh, I, to be fair. Most uh, college football fans probably would have thunk it. What's that award called? The Doak Walker Award. D-O-A. How do you spell it? Yeah, D-O-A-K. D-O-A-K. Uh I only ask because I want to have, I want to figure out if Najee Harris won that award because uh, I want to know if I should sell my Kenneth Walker stock now or later. <laughs> oh hush, that's 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 unnecessary, Kel. Let's hey, let's have Kenneth have his moment in the sun. I shouldn't be so jaded. I. I Good hate that I just looked at the awards history up, Kale, because there are some winners that are obviously great running backs that have done it in the NFL. Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, even to a certain extent, Melvin Gordon. Reggie Bush won it in 2005. But the list has an unfortunate number. Not only did Najee Harris win it. Yes, he did. Um, Bryce Love of Stanford. Deontay oh, wow. Foreman. <laughs> Andre Williams of Boston College, remember him? Monty no, Ball. Monty I remember Ball. Monty Ball. And the king of them all, Trent Richardson. I was gonna say T Rich is definitely <laughs> this is rough. I'm I'm finding it hard to defend this list. Toby Gerhardt on there as well. Shout out Stanford Boy. 
So it sounds like you've you've offered us a coin flip of what <laughs> a coin flip at best, but I, the game ball stands, Kenneth. If it's any consolation, listen. All I'm saying is doesn't bode well for Bijan Robinson. Oh no! Don't do that to me, Kel. I watch Bijan Robinson, and much like Brees Hall, I get to thinking he can just be the best running back in the league with like. Five seconds of film. He's so fast and cuts so hard. He's like he's like Le'Veon Bell, but like <laughs> he's he's like if Le'Veon Bell were bigger and stronger. That's what I see in Bijan. I love I love scouting uh, players because sometimes it really just boils down to you sounding like a five year old talking about race cars. Like he's so fast, <laughs> dude. He's so fast though. Have you seen him? <laughs> I know. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Ugh. Uh, defensive game ball. Uh, you can go a lot, a lot of good ways. Uh, Andrew Adams for the Titans, 76 yard pick six, Geno stone, Game ceiling forced fumble and fumble recovery for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Marco Wilson created art on Thursday night. Uh, Mina Kimes had a really good watercolor of the uh, True. Andy Dalton Marco Wilson picture. Uh, so, uh, not only does that Twitter account of sports but art exist, but uh, then it got made into literal art. So that's cool. I'm going uh, Noah Ibnagine. Uh the Dolphins secondary got real banged up. Igbenagine included. Uh, it got real, real tough for them for stretches. Uh, like I said, Xavier Howard went down. Uh, Igbenagine went down. I, I do the injury reports every week, and I'm excited for it to be – not excited. Uh, proverbially excited for it to be filled with Dolphins players and Jets players. Picking got picked up three times. Igbenagine had maybe the interception of the year with that toad's at. By the way, uh, up there, head scratch of the year. How did that get called an incompletion first? <laughs> I don't know. Jackson was working and uh, had some stuff going on, so I don't know if he caught this one live. Did not. Uh, that was watching the ceiling. Yankees lose, which I'll give okay. my anecdotes on in a moment, but continue. Uh, the... I don't know if you saw the interception at all, but it was this insane toe-tapping interception uh, that he basically caught like over the out-of-bounds line uh, and barely, barely got down for for falling uh, alongside the pylon. Uh, the referee landing uh, within three feet of him actually called an incompletion. And then every other referee ran over. I was like, dude, what are you doing? reviewed it and then they called it an interception that that ended the game uh but it was it was just an athletic achievement and like we said or like i said in the parody is bad segment uh sports is all about storytelling and having the narrative influence to bump over some more of these uh i just gotta go to eggman for me impressive stuff kill um no i did not see most of Sunday night football tonight. I watched a decent amount of football today, but if you were going to ever take a week off, this wasn't a bad week to take off if we're being honest. Uh, And I did have the profound pleasure of watching the New York Yankees get swept in Yankee stadium. Uh, 
just a just a great night. You want to talk about Tuesday morning readings, Kale? Uh, I'd like to read for you uh, a New York Yankees Twitter account post from April 7th, 2022. Uh, no moral victories, no excuses, no storylines, no narratives. Talk is cheap. And a two-minute accompanying hype video for their season. Flash forward to October 20th. And Aaron Boone is saying, I think the roof open kind of killed us. So that's your 2022 New York Yankees season properly eulogized on a football podcast for all to hear. You're very welcome. But hey, you know what, New York? It's not all bad because my defensive game ball is going to Xavier McKinney of your New York Giants. Just for the pure fact that Xavier McKinney somehow managed to catch Christian Kirk in midair and stop him at the one yard line to end the game in Jacksonville. It was the type of play that you watch in slow motion. You don't still fully understand how he was able to get this done. Really, really just cool stuff. The will to win personified kale, the type of stuff you see from a six and one Brian Dable coach team. If Brian Dable were to run for office in New York state right now, I think he'd have a hundred percent of the vote. That guy can do no wrong. Um, And that's hard to do, as you know, in today's uh, rather polarized times. But I digress. Xavier McKinney just gets it for that one specific play because that one play is literally the difference between a win and a loss. And that's, you know, that's sometimes what a game ball's got to be. It can't always be the guy that has three sacks and a forced fumble. There were some guys that were close to that today, but I I didn't want to do like a dominant defensive performance game ball. I just wanted to say like, Xavier McKinney, you stepped up for one play and won your team the game. That to me deserves it. Game of inches. Absolutely. Special teams time. Tell me something, Kale. Special teams is tough. Uh, it was so beautiful in 2021 when Jackson and I just had the benefit of basically every week having a game-winning field goal to talk about True. his own capacity. Helpful. Uh, I will say the combined efforts of uh, Chase McLaughlin and uh, Ryan Stonehouse, the Tennessee Titans punter, uh, basically – you know, really helped seal this game for uh, Tennessee over Indy. Uh, Let me see if I can find this because it was a really good stat by our friend Tom Gower, also over at FO. Colt's best starting field position of the game was on their own 42 after a punt return and their own 45 after a Titans fumble, resulted in a touchdown and field goal. The other eight drives, average starting position, was their own 23, and at best was their own 33, and held them to zero points off of that. So good combined effort there. Do want to give a quick, quickie. Uh, this isn't quite a game ball. It's more, you know, the little, the small ones, like the little ones that are uh, you give to, like, children? They're like the size of your hand, they're almost like stress balls. Throw them around, they're filled with stuffing. If I didn't know, if I didn't know, now I know. Also, I, I, I think I, I think if if memory serves correctly, Kale, I wore twelve or thirteen of them glued to a shirt for Halloween last year. Right, you were literally that for Halloween. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, what are those <laughs> to, Brandon, <laughs> to Brandon Eccles, who uh, I just I just exited out of all my ESPN stuff. So forgive me if I don't have the details of the punt exactly. Let's uh, let's introduce Brandon Eccles, Kale. Tell the world about him. Let's got a chance to interview him over the summer for USA Today. Real awesome guy, very charismatic guy. Uh, talked to him. He's he's a cornerback for the Jets uh, with the new addition to DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. He now contributes a lot more on special teams, uh, which is great for him. Uh, super cool. Uh, but one thing that he's been doing pretty well is down in punts, Jackson. This punt with the Jets 50, Brandon Mann sent it 49 yards. I don't know how this happened. Maybe it was a bit of a sky punt, sure. But Brandon Eccles managed to track it down from the end zone first, got two to three yards deep into the end zone, before the ball was totally down, circled around and got the ball on the one, on one bounce. But like the trajectory that you have to go to run around that, like I'm not going to ask Next Gen Stats to send me the dots on a punt down. But Why I not? Like, but I like them. <laughs> I love it. Why would you not ask Next Gen Stats for that? That's what they're there for. It was. It, it was genuinely one of the bigger athletic achievements to run 50 yards in, you know, three to four seconds to down that punt is probably more closer to five to six, but still, still beyond impressive to me. Hats off to Brandon Eccles for a little mini game ball. On a day in which guys like Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady all combined for zero touchdowns. This is the type of thing we need to be talking about. So congrats to Brandon Eccles. And I'm going to do a, a punt game, special teams game ball as well. Johnny Hecker, longtime Rams punter, getting in a new situation this season with Carolina. And uh, if you were watching Carolina-Tampa today, it uh, most definitely felt like an Iowa-Northwestern noon kickoff. It was punt city. But to give Johnny Hecker credit, he kept punting it back to Tampa they got some half-decent returns off, but no big ones. Booming it down there all day long, Kale. Seven punts for 360 yards. I don't think I have ever seen a punter go for over 350 in a single game. Is it a good thing that the punter has to do that? Probably not, but Johnny Hecker did today. That's a 51.4 average if you're keeping track at home. Long of 62, just one touchback. Uh, two down inside the 20 and just kind of kept helping Carolina flip the field all day long when they absolutely were not scoring. And in the second half, they started scoring a little bit. So big ups, Johnny Hecker, probably the most valuable player for the Panthers today outside of maybe DJ Moore. And I guess PJ Walker played okay, certainly better than Brady, but you could make a very strong case for Johnny Hecker. Jackson, no one was a more impactful uh, punter in terms of field position single-handedly than uh, than Mr. Hecker. But in terms of that little 350 figure uh, that you threw out there, 
Uh, the punter I had mentioned, Brandon Mann, finished in Mile High City with 438. No. <laughs> How many times did he punt today? Eight. Eight? He had a long of 72. Oh, my goodness. Listen, they were – Jackson, Brett Ripon, Zach Wilson was bad football. It was. It was A lot bad of bad football, football, as we have discussed. Yikes. Well, hey, I mean, Brandon Mann, maybe maybe you can get a little stuffing out of the game ball that Kale just gave Brandon Eccles. We're just gonna That's... break down this little hand-sized ball. Even yeah, further. you can no. get a you can get the tag and a little piece of stuffing. Congrats, buddy. Um good uniform week, Kale. I good thought uniform. I thought a very solid uniform week. Um, I think there's an obvious winner. Uh, that you know, either one of us can take Dolphin Steelers. I don't really care who does, but I feel like that was you know, for me, anytime the Dolphins wear the throwback uniforms, it's the uniform game, those are the best uniforms in football to me, maybe rivaled by Pat the Patriot. But how do you want to do this? Do you want that game, or do you want me to take that game and you have a strong stance on another one? I got a couple strong stances, as, as indecisive as I am, <laughs> you can take whatever you want. I feel like this is also one of those situations where it's like, hey, we know this is the game ball of the week. This is the universal uniform ball. I, I'm combining words. Yeah, I call it the game ball and the uniform ball. It's the <laughs> uniform game of the week. Uh, yeah, I think it's one of those ones where we know it's the universal. My, I really feel passionate about Niners Chiefs. That was that was gorgeous. I, I mean. Talk about prime time, like late afternoon, the golden sun mm. of of the place. Is, is it Levi? I always want to call it Candlestick. Yeah, Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California, approximately an yeah, hour to two-hour drive away from San yeah. Francisco, depending on traffic. Yeah, yeah, I know. Listen, California's made of highways. Yeah, they're fine. It's so um, far away, Kale. When the Raiders were still in Oakland, San Francisco – when the Raiders were still in Oakland, it was three times closer to San Francisco than the stadium where the San Francisco 49ers played. This isn't even like this is five times as far away from downtown San Francisco as MetLife is from downtown New York City. That's how far away Santa Clara is. It's absurd that they get to call a team San Francisco. I know I digress, but goodness, that always makes me upset. Yeah. I know, no, I know exactly what you're saying. I'm going to experience the distance from uh, Long Island to MetLife next. Yeah, that's week. two. That's two awful commutes in one. So good luck. I, I pray excited. for you. Not excited about it. Uh, the other one that was sneaky good, in the same way that Kansas City Chiefs was all red, yellow, and gold. Uh, I, I sneaky loved uh, Dallas, Detroit. Uh, it's the one time I've ever liked. Dallas going with those weird light blue pants. Uh, well, that's offensive because I always love it, but continue. I think it's weird. Uh, I think it's so anachronistic to any other uniform that they wear that I don't get why this is the one that they do it with. The uh, one they always wear. It's their I, uniform. Listen, that is the it. Cowboys uniform. Dude, it looks like they washed a blue sock and the dryer weird. I think I can pull a quote from our like preseason uniforms episode where we discuss these pants and you say, oh, that goes crazy. I love that when I introduce why they're blue. 
I feel like I've just never. Oh yeah, when you give me the reason or whatever, yeah, sure. I've ne. I think it's pretty. I think it tracks. I don't face value. I've never liked these pants. I think Sad. it's always been a weird thing. Uh, but the the Lions for some reason decided to go on the road. Call the rush, Honolulu. It's it's like that scene from Ted where he violates a violates the. Or verbally abuses the hiring manager at the grocery store, and it ends with "That takes guts." I respect that you're hired. <laughs> like I don't get why they did it. Uh, it's not a great uniform, but the fact that they did it on its own and it matched so well with the line or the Cowboys uniform, it checked out, and I earned it. It earned my respects, and it's getting uh, the mini ball of the week for me. Uniform was. Respect, like ultimate, like honorable mention, but respect. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're going to like technically give yours to 49ers Chiefs, then I will slide mine over to Dolphins Steelers because I don't care if that's universal. That's just also the right answer. And my honorable mention is going to be Ravens Browns, surprisingly. Uh, Ravens, I might have to reevaluate my stance on a little bit because I feel like they keep coming up for me a little bit in this section of the pod. They're not some of my absolute favorites, but purple is just undeniably great. And I think that autumn purple versus orange just went so crazy for me. Maybe it was because I watched Clemson yesterday and I was like doubling down on the purple and orange, but I like that. That was a really good uniform game for me. I quite enjoyed it. I've never understood why purple and orange are Halloween colors. Like obviously purple or oranges, but like purple is the compliment to orange in that regard has never made sense to me until I watched that. It's brown. like, it's sort of the color of night and it is like the, the like you know, the, <laughs> maybe, maybe a vampire cape is typically purple too, but yeah, I just feel like you think of like the spirit Halloween logo and there's always purple in it somehow. Uh, I, I see. I think you're going with like the count is purple. Yeah. Yeah. But like the inside of a, inside of a vampire cape is red. It's always like red satin. Black on the outside. Fair enough. Jackson, know your fantasy lore. I clearly don't, and I'm all right with that. Um, we're going to do head scratchers, and maybe this was inevitable. Maybe maybe we already waited too long into the podcast to bring this up, but holy cow, I can't hold it in. We This is an NFL podcast. I don't care. We're talking about Syracuse because <laughs> Syracuse – Comes into yesterday's game against Clemson, 6-0, the 14th-ranked team in the country, surpassing everyone's expectations. Shockingly good defense, shockingly competent year from Garrett Schrader, not even really needing All-American running back Sean Tucker to be his usual self, but they're going up against fifth-ranked Clemson, and they know a lot of things have to go right, and they are going right, Kale. 4-0 in the turnover column. An 11-point lead at halftime. Schrader looks pretty good. The second half comes along. They get the ball four times with the lead in the second half. Four possessions where you have the ball, you can try to grind down the clock, you can try to extend the lead, do all these things. Would you like to guess, Kale, how many times All-American running back Sean Tucker Touch the football on those four drives combined. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say you really leaned on him, and he gave it to him. He didn't lean on him too much because Clemson started to come back. I watched the game. I don't know the logs, 
I'm going to say he got it like seven, eight times. Kale, are you? I can see that you're sitting down, but I, I, I want to make sure you're prepared for this information. Sean Tucker on those four drives touched the ball one time, one time. And you're probably thinking, oh, well, he probably got stuffed for negative five yards and it was clear that the ground game wasn't working. So they had to switch things up. It was a 23-yard run, and they only gave it to him once, those entire four drives. Now, after the game, Dino Babers, head coach to the Stars, is asked by the Syracuse media, who always have all the questions, about, hey, coach, why didn't you give the ball to Sean Tucker a little bit more? What, what, what was up with that? He says, quote, Clemson's defense had a good scheme. They really wanted to get the ball out of his hands. Did you, did you tell that for sure? You didn't even try to give it to him. Five carries the entire game. Dino Babers also let 25 seconds run off the game clock at the end before he called timeout for absolutely no reason at all and still took the timeout. And then they end up trying to drive to win the game with 30 seconds left and it could have been a full minute. I don't know. But for all the Syracuse fans that woke up today, Sunday, and we're talking about how, oh, it's fine. We live in Clemson's head. They rush the field on us now. Nobody expected us to be here. It's all great. No, they, this was their chance. They could have won the ACC if they had won this game. They have Notre Dame, Wake Forest, and a couple patsies left on their schedule. This was the game they could have rolled undefeated into the ACC championship, and they completely blew it, and they have no one to blame but themselves. New York Six is still within grasp for them, which is nice. Uh, <laughs> I I said this about uh, Syracuse lacrosse head coach Gary Gate uh, when he would wear these like weird uh, used car salesman uh, plaid suits when I covered the team last year. And I'll say it about Dino Babers with his penchant for Hawaiian shirts. Uh, and I'm sorry I keep using references from movies uh that everyone loved and our age during middle school uh it reminds me of the other job interview scene from Step Brothers <laughs> tuxedos uh and uh they fart and Seth Rogan says now the tuxedos are kind of effed up uh yeah stop wearing funny outfits I this season's probably extending you know Babers's contract that's probably not a good idea for the long term of this franchise uh, or school this football team uh, that is mostly leaning on a very strong senior class and has really uh, benefited from transfers uh, the defense is good uh, but the offense and they're all gonna leave all of offense them. is gonna be gutted after this year Syracuse is Syracuse is gonna be awesome in the transfer portal. Uh, when they all go, I'm excited to watch the orange seeds spread across the nation to greener pastures. Um, man, like Dino Babers might be a good coach, especially like from Sunday to Friday. He is a bad head, like game managing head coach, like really poor, really cannot manage the clock in any way, shape or form. And that is, like if you can't do that as a head coach, we're seeing it with Nathaniel Hackett this year. We're seeing it all over the place. If if you can't do that, then you're just not a head coach. It's really 
tough because I think the players really like him and it's a bummer that he just cannot manage the clock to save his life. It's real bad. All right. My head scratcher was going to give it to the Cowboys, Mike McCarthy, uh, for a weird series, but they won by like 20 points. So I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'm going to give it to a team that won by less and almost very much lost. Uh, And if they didn't get bailed out by Iggy B, they would have lost. Uh, whole conversation about analytics is really weird because the automatic assumption is just go for it. Uh, here's a situation where it wasn't. Uh, Miami has the ball fourth and three on the pit 14th. They're up six. Uh, they get absolutely stuffed on third and three. Uh, the recommendation is kind of a toss-up, but the numbers tell you to go for it. Or not go for it. Not go for it. Specifically not go for it. Kick the dang field goal. Tell you to kick the field goal because it's not just analytics on like, oh, like you want possession, you want time on the clock. You you kick because of like the scoring margin. Because you have six, you have you kicking it would take it to nine. You want points on the board. Simple math. What what do they do? They run with Chase Edmonds. Who in the last excuse me, who in the last three weeks? Has had eight carries for 10 yards. Uh, had more today, but not many more. Uh, bad call, Mike. Uh, almost cost your team the game. Uh, don't have much more to say about that because you won the game. Uh, but analytics aren't all about just being aggressive and going for it willy-nilly. You got to have some just sound level of logic. Turn one possession into two. Put points on the board. Let your team have an easy game and and just play it out. If you're going to go for it and be Mr. Aggressive, uh, don't run with a pass catching back three yards away from the goal or from the first out. Just wild. Like, I, I, you can honestly, like, take the play call out of it, and I still don't understand going for it. Like, is it really the, – the difference between being up one possession or two that late in the fourth quarter is so much greater than the difference. Like, I, I guess up by two touchdowns is nice, but if you have a sure two-possession lead in your pocket on a short field goal, like, I don't understand the logic behind going for it at all. It's just, like, you're doing – when I – think about decision making as a head coach what i always think about is what do i not want what what do i as the other coach not want me the head coach to do right here like what makes me excited as the other team's head coach and if that answer is oh i really don't want them to go for it here then i go for it and if that answer is oh i hope they go for it so we still have a chance then you kick the dang field goal you don't think Mike Tomlin was super pumped to see that they were going for that fourth down and that his team still had a chance if they could just make a stop? Of course he was. It just it doesn't need to be this difficult. Just kick the dang field goal. So, it's simple math. And football football math don't always go together. Football math, I feel like football math could honestly be a major at this point. Just football math and late game decision making, like we should be pumping guys out of undergrad and gals. Preferably more gals than guys, just to really safe. Yeah. Let's 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 just get it going. Like let's let's start these accredited programs in football math, please. Monday night football, Jackson. Monday night football. 
This is not an uninformed Monday Night Football preview. This podcast will come out before opening kick of Monday Night Football. So we really do just get to talk about it and make some predictions and uh, whatever. But I think the main thing we need to talk about is how screwed the Chicago Bears are. Because Bill Belichick went in on an answer in a press conference this week, spoke for seven minutes about everything he knows and likes about the Chicago Bears and just how good at football they are. If I'm hearing this, and I'm not going to read the direct quote, but if you do read it, you're going to have to get some really good magnifying glasses because it's to fit into an entire screenshot, it's about a three-point font. He named 17 Chicago Bears by name. We're not going to get into all that. But, Kale, um, how screwed are the Chicago Bears, given that Bill Belichick knows them this well? Jackson, it's not often that Bill Belichick goes into such deep, 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 deep detail. Uh, on a specific opponent, and it usually only happens when you're bad. Uh, (laughs) Like I said earlier in parody, you can name three non-quarterback players uh, on even the Bears roster, and I'll find guys I like. Belichick managed to name 17, (laughs) 17 by name, and individual things they were good at. Uh, We did a full stat check. A fact check on uh, the takeaway on Friday. Uh, it's it's not going to be good. Uh, I my earnest prediction. I just don't know how Mac is going to look. Mac is set to start. I just don't know what he's going to look like. <laughs> uh, and it's starting to get concerning because I'm so confident that the Patriots will beat the Chicago Bears. But it's mostly based off them just running it with Harris and Stevenson down their throat. I do not know what this game is going to look like. I can assume the Patriots have a double-digit win margin, but that's really just hopeful, hopeful thinking at this point, if anything. We both put our money where our mouth is. We both picked the Patriots as our lock in the staff picks this week. I think it's only right that we stick by that. I got 26-10 late, like, garbage time, long rushing touchdown for the Pats in what is mostly an ugly game. Uh, And the final score doesn't quite reflect how down to the Bears level the Pats mostly play, but also, like... They're clearly the better team, and at no point are we genuinely worried that they are in danger of losing. I am in a similar department, but for some reason, the score 31-13 speaking to me a lot. Oh, which well, is a it huge you should margin, listen. Which is a huge margin for the tepid optimism I currently have for this team. Wild. He's... He's going to sleep at night and threes and ones are floating through his brain. It's beautiful. (laughs) Like visions of sugar. Yes. All right. Last thing we have to do is give a little preview about next week. There's some interesting stuff going on. Here are some of the storylines. You can choose which one is your favorite. The Jacksonville Jaguars back to their true home, London, England, hosting who? The Danger Russ himself, 
They do have Subway in London, so hopefully he can get himself a Danger Witch at some point. If you don't like that one, how about the fact that Pats, Jets, and Giants, Seahawks are probably the two best games of the week, assuming the Pats win tomorrow. That's wild. That is not what any of us predicted, but that's life in the NFL in 2022. Giants, Seahawks, game of the year type stuff, let me tell you. And finally, both Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, embattled as they are, are playing in prime time next week and not just playing in prime time, but playing against good teams, especially Rodgers, who draws the Bills in Buffalo on Sunday night. Ooh, boy, does that team not need that matchup right now. Brady goes to Baltimore on Thursday, short week. Baltimore not looking great, but still above 500. Interesting, interesting slate next week. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen. Am I right? You are, Jackson. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of that Pats-Jets game. I'll be in attendance. It's for a uh, you know, charity-slash-memorial event for uh, three kids from my hometown, two of which are former teammates of mine, uh, who passed in a car crash a little over a year ago. Uh, the last time they did this in 2021 was for the Jets-Titans game which ended up in a miracle overtime victory. So there's usually some good juju in the air uh, for games like this, uh, for the uh, for such an event for Jets fans. So it could uh, it could get interesting for Pat's Jets. Uh, I, I'm, you know, Brees Hall's a big loss, but I'll be very interested in that one. Battle for Pennsylvania as well. Jackson, one of these things are not like the other. We do our little ticket price looking, you know. I think bang for my buck. There's a couple games on here that I genuinely like. Wentz is going to miss his revenge game uh, at Indianapolis, which is tough. So sad. I'd shell out to go to, in addition to the, you know, thousand-ish in airfare and the, Another grand and a half I'd spend on amenities and lodging. I'd go to see Jacksonville, Denver for ninety nine dollars. <laughs> what I would, what I would not yeah. do, what I would not do is go to Philadelphia uh, for tickets as low as three hundred twenty seven dollars to watch Steelers Eagles. If you're doing that, you're not going for the Steelers. You're going to sit in the crowd with the drunkest happiest, most confused Philly sports fans in the history of Philly sports fans, who, by the way, will stay drunk for the next 24 hours because World Series Game 3 will be hosted in Philadelphia the following night. Wild times in that city right now. As we speak, people are literally still climbing greased-up light poles at 2 o'clock in the morning. Nuts. I love planning the logistics of a bender. <laughs> In a calculated manner, in a budgeted manner at that. <laughs> well, if you budget it, I hope you have season tickets. Because if you're trying to get on a bender now and you're going on StubHub saying, all right, let's get my tickets for the Eagles game. You're going, whoa, Kenny Pickett, $300 for Kenny Pickett. Why? Jackson, you know what the beauty of that 24-hour bender is? Tell me. Because of the beauty of Philadelphia City planning. Mm. You don't have to leave that parking lot. Not if you don't want to. 
you can just stay there because they're all in the same place and it's, it's the great. coolest idea ever and i don't know why that's not the standard in every city in america that has multiple sports teams here here preaching to the choir best thing as a man who went to college in the philly area i loved it um i can't imagine what xfinity live would have been like this weekend but i know it was insane and closing the loop if you've got 24 dollars sitting around in your pocket you can head to houston to watch the tennessee titans come into the building Maybe Ryan Tannehill, maybe Malik Willis, probably Tannehill, but still a very boring football game. Honestly, either way, that sounds good. I think it was only boring because the Colts were in. At least the Texans, like, have what? Like, at least they have Damian Pierce. At least they have Nico Collins. They might not have Brandon Cooks uh, by the time that game happens. Uh, But, hey, like, at least there's pieces in. You can watch Derek Stingley, Robert Woods, which might be an all-22 matchup to check out for me. I don't know. Very exciting stuff. As you can hear from my very excited voice, it's 2.07 a.m. It's a subdued end of the show, which is funny because I was very energetic less than a Yeah, I was going to say, you you subdued yourself. I did. <laughs> after a high-octane hour-ish. But here's the thing, Kale. I'm I'm gonna keep it subdued. It's a good week. It's a good show. Thank you all for listening. For Kale, I'm Jackson, and we will see you next Tuesday. See you.